Hello everyone and welcome to Women Decode STEM, a weekly podcast where we talk to remarkable women in the STEM field from engineers, leaders, teachers to entrepreneurs and discuss about career, work culture, gender equality, mentorship and more. I'm your host Neha Savanay. Today's guest is Stephanie Itami. She's a digital entrepreneur, technology advisor, keynote speaker and an author. She's the founder of Cydia, a social enterprise helping black, Asian, minority, ethnic women build cybersecurity careers and multiple other initiatives. In addition, she's also currently pursuing her PhD in information security at Royal Holloway, London. I'm excited to talk to Stephanie about her involvement with several global initiatives how she's gotten into cybersecurity space and learn more about her initiatives to support girls and women from ethnic minority groups. Hi, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so, so grateful to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So Stephanie, you have a bachelor's and a master's degree in economics. Tell us, how did you get into cybersecurity? Oh, I think I've always been interested in economics, but I think that's because I'm very passionate about upskilling people out of poverty. And I believe that we can do that through giving people jobs and giving people skills to be able to get jobs that they want. Um, and for me, my journey into cybersecurity happened when I was working for the UK government. And I had the chance to do a role that worked on cybercrime. Um, specifically looking at modern slavery, human trafficking, and online child sexual exploitation. And with that, it really showed me another side of technology. Prior to that, I kind of worked in tech, or I would say I was tech adjacent, um, working in the policy side of things or the strategic side of things. But that let me know that the dangers of the internet, but also just how vulnerable women are and kids on um, the internet and that kind of motivated me to want to change that narrative because in my role I realized that I was the only woman there were barely any men and when I would go to conferences or roundtables around cybersecurity, it was the same thing there was a lack of diversity very few women or very few people of color so I felt that the best way for me to really know more about this industry is not just by me kind of working in the space but I wanted to upskill myself in regards to higher education finding out more about the field um, pushing myself more in that direction but obviously I know that we'll be discussing that much later in the discussion. Awesome yeah this is much required um Cybersecurity is a booming space and I think we need to educate more people about it. So this is great. Um, so what was your story behind starting your initiative, Cydia? So I think going back into what I was saying, um, on the sign that I was um, one of the very few women in that space. And that time I actually, Cydia was a little bit different. Um, when I initially started in 2018, I was I basically found out through my mom and her friends that if you work in the health and social care sector and you wanted to become a manager, you needed Microsoft Excel skills. And a lot of these women weren't able to move on to the next stage because they didn't have the skills and they didn't have the time. Um, and what they were telling me as well is that a lot of initiatives were targeted at young people or targeted at um, 
yeah younger people or people who are just graduates but not people in their 30s or 40s so what I decided to do at that time was in my local library I was given free Microsoft Excel classes and it also happened to be the same time that I was in my cybersecurity role and every time the women would come for these classes they would ask me actually you know we want to do what you want to do like how do we move on into cybersecurity? and I think a lot of emotions I was feeling that time being the only woman you know the lack of diversity but also feeling a strong sense of justice that you know the internet is wrong like we need to fix it we need to protect women I decided in January um, well December 2018 but in January we decided to focus purely on cybersecurity because I think when I even looked at it the statistics is very it's worse than any other um, technology field like in the UK only 15% of the sector are women and 16% of the sector are people of color. So when you, under, when you actually look to see how many women of color are in that space, it's very, very um, little. So that's kind of how the motivation came to drive Sudhir into this space. And ever since I started, I haven't regretted it. I've met so many interesting women along the way. And it's always nice to see why people want to go into the sector. Some of it is monetary reasons. Um, some of it is security, you know, their kids and trying to protect their kids and like what the, the kids are doing online and wanting, using that as a motivation to enter that space. So all these things I would say were an inspiration for me to start Sadia. What kind of um, training programs or orientation programs do you run in Sadia? I think when we started, we focused on um, awareness of jobs. So we were getting experts to come and talk about their field, how they were able to get in their roles. Because I think one of the things we found was a lot of people, when they think about cybersecurity, they think about hackers. But the industry is so much more than that. We wanted to showcase people of color who are in the industry to come and share their stories and for the women to have an intimate conversation with them so at this time pre-covid we would have intimate sessions in Coventry University which were our venue sponsors and we had this space of about 15 seats mm-hmm. um, and we wanted because we wanted it to be very intimate and we wanted each woman who attended the event to kind of feel like she was heard I guess or questions were being answered so we started with that and then we moved on to do a virtual internship we were lucky to partner with Moose Cyber Institute, which is an Australian company, um, and also She Secures, which is similar to what we do, but trying to get more African women into cybersecurity. And we decided to um, do an internship of 12 different women from around the world. So they are from India, um, Zambia, Nigeria, Ireland, Jamaica, and the UK. And that program, I'm so happy, we're, next month is our final month. So it's our, you know, it's been a long year, but it's been very, very interesting. And I think outside that, we also kind of have like a podcast to kind of focus more like this, I guess the security awareness, because obviously I've worked in cybercrime, I want women to be safe. So that's kind of like our arm of giving them digital tips. And now we're trying to move more into the space of actually skills training mm-hmm. and seeing if we can work with more companies to offer the women internship. Because I think from our one-year program, the feedback we got from the women is that it would be better to do shorter, maybe two to eight weeks um, programs within different companies. So that's what we're trying to work towards at the moment. Well, that sounds like a lot of work, but it's really interesting that you're getting so many people into the tech space. That's great. 
Um, so on Cydia, is it just you or do you work with a team of like advisors or staff? Yeah, we have um, a budding advisor, um, a group of five people who advise us um, on different things. So that has been very, very helpful. I think now we're kind of transitioning. I'm in the season or where I'm in the moment of recruiting people um, to kind of help in the operational side, especially now that I've started my PhD. It's harder for me to do things as quickly as I'd like to. So we're now recruiting three more people. Um, two of the positions have been filled. We're looking for a third person, but essentially we're trying to focus, like I said, more on like the skills training and the internship, virtual internship, because we believe that those are the two lenses in which would help the women um, enter into the, the sector. And also we're growing, like right now we're at 637 members. So it's quite a lot globally and we're hoping, you know, fingers crossed that by the end of next year we have over 3,000 so that's kind of like our ambition to try and upskill as much women as we can. Um, how did you go about finding the advisors for CDL? Like, did you have specific requirements for these people? Like, Did you want people with certain experience um, or, or knowledge that you wanted to reach out to? Yeah, I would say what I did first, and especially for people who might be thinking of um, starting their own startups as well, was I spoke to a few friends who have already started like startups and charities, because at that point, I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. Um, and understanding, I think, from what they said was that I should think about what type of roles I wanted or what type of skills I needed that I didn't have. So for me at that time, I was looking for someone who was, although I am a creative, but someone more like the creative side to think about what are the innovative ways in which we can, you know, let women know about the different careers or make it more exciting. Um, so we had someone in the first year who was our creative um, technology advisor. We then had someone who was great with corporate partnerships and, and especially from like her own personal um, business, she was a public speaker. So she had a lot of contacts that were useful to Sadia. And then I looked for someone in gender policy because like I said, I was interested more in the human rights of things to kind of advise us like re regarding our gender um, initiative like how can we um what part of the law can we use our advantage especially if we're you know maybe doing a white paper to the government or something and i think finally the last one was finance um education and and finance but mostly education like how do we educate women what are the different um parts and I, and I think with the education advisor she works for the department of education so that was helpful for her to let us know like we can do this we can't do this so that's how I went about it the first year mm -hmm. I and I would say my lessons like after the first year the, the biggest lesson I learned that it's good to focus on the skills but what I feel like I could have done better is look for people who are in the cybersecurity field because they were in the technology field, but they weren't specifically my niche. And I found that in a lot of decisions we were making and a lot of the ad advice wasn't, although it was helpful, it wasn't specific to the sector that I operate in. And because of that, I felt like there were difficulties. And even at the end, there were no hard feelings. Those who left did mention that, you know, they feel like if they could advise me, it's for me to look for who are the not necessarily gatekeepers, but who are the influencers in cybersecurity and who are those who are passionate about this initiative who can join um, 
our advisory board. And I took that on board. So my second year, I made sure that I, I looked for similar skills, but I looked for people who were in the cybersecurity field specifically. Um, and I think that that's helped because they showed me like, oh, you need to do this. There's this opportunity. Go for this. Here's funding here. You know, those kind of things. And because you're in my industry, they're able to give me, I guess, more tailored advice. But then I, what I then realized, the third lesson is that although I have been working collaborative with different people, so although I would say like I'm a solo entrepreneur, um, a lot of the initiatives we did were in collaboration with different people. So like when we were doing the, um, our intimate, events learning sessions for like the cyber roles that was with um coventry university who provided the venue and obviously i i reached out to speakers who um were able to give their knowledge so again it wasn't just me doing it i had a collaboration of people but what i've realized is that there's only so much i can do as one person which is why now i am building up um, a team and even with that it's hard because you know at this stage we can't promise them money so you have to look for people who are passionate about the initiative and funny enough who also work in the field as well so they understand like being the only woman being the only woman of color um, and I and I would say that's my third step in my learning curve of entrepreneurship and um, things things like that so that's what I probably advise people as well who want to start up based on my lesson of basically maybe how they can skip some of the steps that I did <laughs> in their journey. Yeah, those are great advice, really. Um, I think when you're starting off, you don't think of all of these. You just want people to help you in some way. But this, this is really nice to have in, in the back of your mind when you're trying to reach out to people. Um, so moving on, Stephanie, can you tell us about your other initiatives? I know you've done a lot of work, but I'd love to hear from you about the other initiatives that you started. Yes, I would love to share. So a bit of an overview. So last year, I, I started a charity in Nigeria, and that's only because I was passionate about, um, and I'm still passionate about remote work, because I believe, especially for people in developing countries in Africa, they can take advantage of Fiverr in the gig economy and um, basically find employment if their immediate environment doesn't provide the employment that they're looking for. So that was a very, um, something close to my heart. We're able to do sessions with 56 people um, and we had trainers going to different countries. So we had people in Kenya, people in Nigeria, people in Burkina Faso. And the website is also in Ibo, Yoruba, French, Portuguese. So it's very, um, we wanted to make the content one that was appealing or, or one that people can learn in their language. Unfortunately, again, with my PhD, I can't take that on. So not that I've closed it, but I think from the discussion that I had with my team is we decided that we would maybe have a redirection so outside of that another initiative that I, I run is called say code and I started that in 2018 <laughs> and it's sponsored by Google so Google has this um, thing called Google CS first which teaches kids how to code and I've I registered as a teacher so I'm able to give training to kids uh, based on the curriculum so I started this 2018 uh, in my local library and wanted to give girls, so it's aimed at black and minority girls aged nine to 16. I wanted to give them the opportunity to 
have an open mind to raise your aspiration to know what type of tech roles are out there so in our first year we focused on storytelling and with that storytelling we had um they went through the program and then they had speakers who were like journalists who were able to kind of talk about like the importance of storytelling and how that links to technology the second year we focused on fashion tech and the third year was actually looking at being safe online so um when you're making friends online how do you do it safe how do you know the person you're talking to is actually the real age you know don't meet strangers basically the whole um digital parenting thing and next year we're going to be focusing on gaming so what we've decided is now that we have a curriculum like that it's better for me to use that curriculum to use it to teach when i'm in nigeria so 2022 um after I'm done with the program in 2021 here, I'll be in Nigeria for my field research for my PhD. And the plan is to actually travel around the country and also um, neighboring African countries or West African countries to actually teach that curriculum to schools or to other um, charities that I can partner with. So that's the direction that we're kind of like taking CINFO now. We're kind of merging SACODE and CINFO. Outside of that, I don't really think it's tech, but it's, I guess, more um, social. I'm Nigerian, if you guys haven't noticed in this podcast, because I've mentioned it quite a few times. <laughs> but um, I'm passionate about learning more about, I think maybe also because I live in the UK, learning more about my culture. So I started a book club where we read about Nigerian politics and history and we discuss it. And we have 48 members, so it's pretty nifty. And outside of that, I do art as my other way of, I guess de-stressing so I have an art store called Seattle where I kind of mix my love for traveling where I travel I take pictures and then I manipulate it and create it into art but then the art also tells a story about I guess the economics or the labor economics of the country that I'm in so I guess that's how I put my passion and those are I would say my other initiatives. Wow, that's wonderful. Like your life sounds so interesting and you're doing so much great work. So that's great, Stephanie. Uh, good to know about all of your initiatives. In your opinion and from the work that you've done so far, how do you think that we can make cybersecurity and the tech space more equitable to minorities and how can we empower them better? I think the obvious answer is to put them at the decision-making tables. And what, and what does that look like? So in my previous role, when I was working for a local government, I worked in the qualities and partnerships team. So my role was a senior quality and partnership advisor. And one of the most powerful thing is the creation of the BAME, which is Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic in the UK network. And with that, we were able to give the, the local government or the council our thoughts, our thoughts on the recruitment, what we were feeling. Um, we're able to go to different universities and talk about our experience and why people should join the organization. Also, when we had the issue of COVID, we were able to give our impact on cultures, like how, if you were able to do a certain policy, how would it affect um, certain groups and things like that. And that's because we were included in decisions that were being made. And now this is in the government sector, right? So in a private sector, it's having groups, you know, like Black Google, I think they have like their own employee networks. And I believe that employee networks are the way to go. You need to empower those employee networks because first of all, it gives them a community. Nobody likes being a minority. 
nobody likes feeling alone nobody likes you know feeling like they're the only one and having these employee networks are life safer because you could be mentored there's peer-to-peer mentoring if you're going through something and you don't know how to react you can kind of come and run and and the safe there's a safe space and you know and people can advise you on ways you can go about it so i would say that the best way to make tech work more equitable for minorities is to have employee groups that are empowered and not stifled yeah makes a lot of sense and i think we're seeing that kind of change happening but it's really slow i hope it fastens and we see more of this happening you know okay talking about your uh, career path like at what stage did you decide you wanted to do a phd oh i think so after my cyber crime role I decided that I wanted to learn more about the quality side of things because I've always worked in like digital transformation um, or fake news tackling, just tech stuff, but not necessarily the quality side of things. Um, so I, I wanted to work in that kind of role, which is why I then worked um, for my last role, which was in local government. And within that role, I was working with the university and essentially we were coming up with tech ideas to help um, people so we're looking at smart cities so how can ai be used to tackle dementia or to help people with dementia um what does a smart city look like how can we encourage community so it was very it was very eye-opening i think by working with the university i missed being in a university um but also i kind of felt like i was moving away from cybersecurity. so i wanted to come back so i felt the best way I think after having a conversation with my colleague at the university was to kind of go back um, into academia and to do a PhD and to kind of have the time to really immerse myself in cybersecurity and all its aspects so that I know how I can add more value to Sadia, how I can add more value to my goals. Um, so yeah, that's why I decided to do a PhD. <laughs> and have you enjoyed being uh, a student all over again? I would say yes, but it's challenging. Um, I wouldn't say it's easy. Um, so I don't want to make anyone think, oh, yes, you know, she's doing all these things. It is a lot of hard work. I'm having to reprioritize my time. Like I said, asking for help, um, getting a team for Sadia, understanding that I can't do certain projects and letting that go. So it does come with a lot of sacrifice. But one thing I will say about the PhD is that it's given me a new perspective on things, um, especially when you work in, I guess, or when you're in school, you are given that space or that freedom to think. And I felt like I haven't had the time to think in a while. So I would say that has been the blessing, but it's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of assignments. There's a lot of deadlines. It is, I would say it's definitely more intense than a full-time job it's it's a, two, a full-time job times two but I guess it's on the, me understanding I guess what I want to get at the end of it and that motivates me to keep going um so you've been a part of like several global initiatives until now including the one well known for me at least uh, the BBC <laughs> service team that was uh, tackling the fake news about Ebola in Africa. So mm -hmm. can you highlight um, some of the global initiatives you've been a part of and what your role has been on these projects? Yeah, sure. So um, you already mentioned when I was at the BBC and within that role, I was working on data entry. So 
we realized that WhatsApp, especially in Africa, it's, it's rife for fake news. And during the Ebola um, pandemic, that's not really the time where you want fake news to be popular because lives are at stake. So the idea was that people would send um, at me into a specific number that I was running. And then I would allocate people into different groups. Um, I think one of my achievements was I kind of I gave them the idea that instead of putting them in groups let's put them in priority zones so which because what I realized is some people were just interested they weren't even in Africa you can tell by the country code so it's having priority zone one of those who are close or Ebola zones or those who are close to it priority two are countries in Africa and priority three are those that are not in Africa so that we can actually give more tailored news to those who need it the most and with that program we had over 16,000 at the end of it so I was really proud of that um, I will say my second initiative or global initiative I was part of was working with the EU commission and it focused on digital entrepreneurship and young people so with that I was working with people from France Slovakia Poland um and the uk and i think spain as well and we were interviewing 15 young entrepreneurs in the uk and asking them questions and then creating a documentary to really highlight these are the issues of young people um, and these are the changes that needs to happen but also if you are a young person and you want to start a business this is the lessons learned you can take from it so it was kind of like a double-edged um sword or double-edged kind of um initiative and i'm quite happy that i did that then i think another initiative that i was part of was when i worked with uprising i was part of their leadership program i was able to start a social initiative and that was us doing a survey of over 300 women in london to talk about the experiences with street harassment on transport so we did that in collaboration with the tfl and highlighting like what were women experiences and also enabling tfl to change their policies to suit women and then i guess the most recent one well actually two recent ones <laughs> um the one i did i guess 2019 no 2018 was i had the opportunity to go to un women's um, africa youth conference to talk about cybersecurity as a human crime because i think when we think about cybersecurity, it's very financial especially in africa you know like 419 fraud and i was highlighting that actually no you know there are fake job ads people are being trafficked into dubai into italy um and they think that they're going for a legit cleaning job or domestic job but it's it's sexual exploitation or even um revenge porn and things like that and just highlighting that african governments need to think beyond the business sector they need to think beyond financial fraud and they need to think about the human aspect of cybersecurity and how do they ensure that those who are the most vulnerable are safe online so i really enjoyed that and then last year i had the opportunity um actually i was invited by the netherlands government kind of i was representing nigeria for their global initiative and we were looking at recycling so phones for example how do we recycle them especially in africa a lot of them tend to use old phones and now that they're going into smartphones what is happening with those old phones and how are they being recycled to ensure that there's sustainability the difference with african countries especially in nigeria is that in the uk when you throw away the trash you have a recycling um, van coming to take it everything is quite structured but in african countries some of it is just dumped in one place 
And, you know, people then go there to scavenge hunt, to sell these things. And some of the stuff are bad for your health, um, especially like when they burn battery. It can give so many diseases or um, health issues. So, yeah, it was all about going there to talk about the initiative of how Nigeria and Netherlands can collaborate to tackle this and look at guest tech as a circular economy so this is me using my economic economic hat um, and at the end of it i also wrote an article about that to kind of talk about the partnership between netherlands and nigeria but also what the next step was for both countries so yeah i would say those are my global initiatives that i've had the pleasure of being part of wow they're so diverse like each project focuses on different topic but all of them are so important um, especially for developing countries and i totally understand that so that's great um, in your perspective, like your personal opinion, what is your learning from being a part of all of these initiatives? How has that shaped you as an entrepreneur? I think as an entrepreneur, it's, it motivates me to keep learning um, and to be innovative in different ways. So every time I'm part of an initiative, I learn, I take something from it. Like, so like with the BBC Bowler stuff, I, I understand the importance of online community on the phone and what a virtual community is. And now in COVID, that's very important for my business. Um, with the second one about entrepreneurship, like that was very key. I learned from 15 entrepreneurs about how they started their business and what they did and how I can improve. And then I guess when I'm looking at with the UN stuff, I was able to understand the plight. You know, I was able to meet people, have discussions, talk about um, modern slavery and how it affects women in Tunisia you know I would have never known about what's going on in Tunisia but I was able to gather that from that experience and finally with the Netherlands experience I the circular economy made me think about the environment and how with my business how can I be environmentally friendly how can I be recyclable if we were to of course our business is very like on the internet but if we're ever to move into a physical space how do I ensure that it's sustainable and is environmentally friendly? And even more recently, I've been challenged about how do I make sure my events cater to those who are, have like disabilities, whether they're deaf or maybe they have visual impairment. How do I ensure that that is suitable to them? So I think as an entrepreneur, you should always be open to learning. And I think that's what makes a great entrepreneur. I wouldn't say I'm a great entrepreneur yet. I'm still learning, but I think it's just having that willingness to learn is what I would say. And I think I've gained from our conversation so far that you're really social. So <laughs> how do you engage with different communities, whether it's the tech community or social entrepreneurship? Like, Do you attend a lot of events? How do you keep up with all of this? Oh, I would say before lockdown, I went to more events. Um, I think the older I've gotten, the less events I go to. <laughs> and I think that's just a lack of time. But what I will say that I've learned is um, having intentional relationships. Um, when I get in touch with someone, having that kind of follow up, um, speaking to them once in a while, just helps because you never really know um, when that relationship is going to be useful. And I think even in the sense of being, again, I would say intentionality about even what you post. So I think now I'm very intentional about what I post. Before, I just wanted to post for the sake of posting it. 
um, I would say quantity over quality, but now I'm very intentional. So the events that I would intend attend now virtually are events that I know that I I'm going to be hundred percent present mentally. It's ones that I know are going to help me. It's not just about attending events, but attending events with an intentionality that, you know, this is what I want to learn. This is what I'm hoping to get out of it. And when you do make relationship, don't, approach it from a what can I get from this person but what can I give to this person if you come from a given angle it's always better and it also shows intentionality as well great points um I've noticed that you've published a couple of books uh, so far what is your process of coming up with the ideas for the book do you have specific topics that you want to write about if I'm being honest education <laughs> my motivation um I wrote my first book during my undergrad it was my dissertation that got turned into a book and then my other one was a collection of academic essays that I I write so I think my motivation is because my two books are on Nigeria is I'm extremely passionate about my country and I'm extremely passionate about it being better becoming better so I guess my process and I know that I work best when I'm given a deadline which is why I guess maybe I like school a bit much. So maybe, <laughs> maybe after the PhD, I have to find a new way of writing. But um, having that pressure allows me to write. Um, and also that intentionality of what I want as my end goal or what, I'm, what solution I'm trying to find, that helps me. Um, will I be publishing other books? Yes. Um, but again, it's the motivation is just driven by what I'm passionate about um, and what I want to change in the world. And I kind of use that passion as my thrill. That's great. Um, last question, Stephanie. Um, what advice would you give other entrepreneurs who want to get into social entrepreneurship? Oh, it is not an easy road. It is not an easy road. If you are in it for money, stop right here. Um, it's because it's you're just it's not going to happen. If you want to be a social entrepreneur, you have to want to do it for the right reason. There are some days that are going to be great. You're going to be high. You know, you're going to be feeling great. And there are some days that you're going to be low and you're going to wonder like, why am I doing this? And at those moments where you want to give up, you need to understand your why. If you don't have your why, you're just going to quit when things get hard. So I would say, do it for the right reasons. Understand your why. And also having a great support network is amazing. I have great friends. And have great parents. And I know that even that itself is a privilege, that I have people who actively want me to do well. And that motivation and that love and that support helps me to strive. Finally, social entrepreneurship, I don't know what the correlation is with mental health, but because you're constantly, I, I would say in economics is a positive externality. Everybody knows it's great, but who really wants to invest in it? That's the thing. So you need to have a thick skin um, and you need to think about ways to improve your mental health. Make sure you incorporate time for rest, incorporate time for you just taking a step back. And, you know, just because I think sometimes when you give yourself a step back from your business, you can see it from a new fresh of eyes. And finally, don't be like me. Ask for help on time <laughs> and not when you're tired. <laughs> so I'll say those would be my top tips. But it's a worthwhile journey for anyone who wants oh, yeah, to do it. Uh, thank you, Stephanie. Before we let you go, we have a rapid fire round. Are you ready? Oh, yes. <laughs> First question, one person you look up to. Oh, Dambisa Moyo. Can I give two? Sure, yeah. 
And Ngozi Nkoji Uwela. Those are my two favorites. Can you give us a little background? Like, I, I don't know if all of our listeners will know what they do. Okay, so they're both economists. Shaka. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Moyo wrote a book called Dead Aid, which basically changed the way people saw aid. Um, she was saying that instead of basically don't give a man the fish, teach the man how to catch a fish and essentially showed that, you know, there's a new way we can do charity that can benefit um, people from Africa and people from developing countries. And with Ungazi, she was the minister of finance in Nigeria twice. And I think now she's in the run for becoming um, the head of the WTO. And her career has always been amazing. Um, being a woman in a patriarchic country like Nigeria, just being able to break so many barriers in Nigeria and abroad is just so inspiring to me. Great. Okay, second question. One advice you'd give your younger self? Don't be in such a hurry to grow up. <laughs> um, and when I say that is when I was younger, I just... For some reason, I wanted to be 21. I just had an obsession with being 21 and being a grown-up. Um, and I even started working when I was 16. And now if I could go back, it would be have fun. <laughs> Don't stress, you know, like have fun and enjoy your youth. I mean, I'm still young, but I'll definitely say like, don't rush to grow up. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, I guess we just want to be independent at that time. But now we realize, oh my God, that, that was much better. <laughs> Okay, last question. Your favorite book? My favorite book. Ooh, The Bright Continent. Okay, I haven't read that one. The Bright Continent. It's basically a book that talks about innovative tech companies in Africa. And it talks about the spirit of Africans. Like, you know, how do you find creativity and innovation in places where you have no resources, you have no help, you have no support. And she talks about different um, companies like startups in Cameroon that uses messaging Mm -hmm. as a a way to teach people English and French and to kind of help the Anglophone and Francophone side of Cameroon to interact. Um, And even how people are able to use resources and create innovative things like drones so yeah I would say like that book motivates me because sometimes when I'm like oh you know I'm thinking well Steph there are people who have no resources and are able to come up with innovation so if they can do it you can definitely do it so that's definitely my favorite book thank you Stephanie that was the questions for you that I had today Um, it was great chatting with you I hope you enjoyed this (laughs) I did thank you so much for having me on the platform I definitely, I really, really appreciate it. I'm grateful. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Women Decode STEM. If you're new here, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on iTunes. It helps me get my message out to a wider audience. All the social links to my guests are in the show notes. I will talk to you next week. Until then, I hope you have a great day and the rest of the week ahead. Bye.